From KMUW Studios in Wichita, Kansas, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia Podcast. And I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. This episode was recorded on January 21st, 2022. So any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Beth. It's good to see you again from far away. Again. <laughs> We've had a bit of a gap between <laughs> our episodes. You know, we we, we were very um, earnest when we said we're going to record on the 1st and have it produced by the 10th. And I don't think I've met that deadline yet. Oh, well, but a lot of things were going on, including um, we had our year-end pledge drive. We had the holidays. We had a little bit of a COVID blip, <laughs> just a bit. Um, yeah, so I actually, um, yeah, I don't mind sharing with our audience. I I finally got the COVID virus. Uh, I tested negative here recently, so it's over with for me, but um, it was not good, despite my vaccines and everything. Um, thankfully, I got, I got over it pretty quickly, but um, yeah, I was down in the dumps there for a while. If there's any silver lining to being sick, it's uh, more reading time, right? <laughs> That's right. You know, I had a gap between those times, you know, my class was over and, you know, I had that gap between class ending and class beginning. And so I really wanted to, you know, hunker down and read some books that I didn't get to earlier in, you know, the year, like they had come and gone and I, I, I hadn't talked to the author. So I, there was no reason for me to stop my reading <laughs> my reading stack of authors I was interviewing to read some of these others. Um, So I was just going to get them all done over that time. And I read one. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, you know, sometimes we just have to relax and do other things. That's right. Like for me, it was watching Ted Lasso. Burnout is real. And so we're just going to move on from here. It's a a new year. That's right. No shame. Just moving on. (laughs) Um, And yeah, and and I feel like um, I'm finally getting my reading groove back. I may have said this last month, too. But, you know, after... A year, certainly 2020 was a real down year for me when I couldn't concentrate on much. And now I, I really feel like I'm I'm hitting a new groove with reading. So I feel really good about that. Very good. OK, so what's first on your list? OK, I guess I will go first. So I'm going to talk about um, the new Ann Patchett essay collection, These Precious Days. Now, Ann Patchett is what I refer to as an automatic buy author for me. <laughs> I um, I haven't I will say I haven't read everything she's written, but I've read a lot of it, and I just really really love her writing. You know, I love her novels. This is an essay collection, which automatically I'm like, uh, you know, it's like short stories and essays are kind of a hard sell just because you know they can be kind of inconsistent or whatever. But love Ann Patchett. Picked this up, you know, the day it was released, and it's really really good. Um, it's it's completely random. There's all kinds of uh, different reflections on her life, and she writes about everything from um, book covers and how those get chosen uh, to her personal experience with her. She writes about her three dads. Um, her mom, you know, she had her birth father, and then her mom was married uh, two mu- two other times. So she had these men in her life that she talked about. Um, the the title essay, "These Precious Days," is actually about her experience with. Uh, befriending the personal assistant uh, to Tom Hanks, who happened to to narrate her book. Oh, uh, that's right. uh, The Dutch House. Um, Anyway, she got to know uh, this woman, Suki, who then um, had a battle with cancer, and I came to to live with her for a bit in in Nashville. Uh, What a wonderful, wonderful um, essay that was. I just, you know, she's just a a pro writer, and that one uh, had me in tears. Um, There's also, oh, one more I wanted to mention is called... uh, 
there are no children here. And she writes about her decision not to have kids and all the different pressure um, and comments that she's gotten over the years about that. So I really ended up loving it. You know, like most collections, there's some that are better than others. Um, but on the whole, I, I, I gave this four stars. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I really like that. That was These Precious Days, an essay collection by Ann Patchett. Um, you talk about her three dads and her mom. I've, I've met her mom. Oh, really? She is an author. Her name is, um, it's either Jean or Jeannie Ray. She came to Watermark for Stepball Change was the book. And I probably won't include this, but I remember she said her, her daughter Anne gets so upset with her because people will say to Anne, oh, are you an author because of your mother? And she'll say, no, my mother is an author because of me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I'm going into the Wayback Machine for a book that I read at the beginning of December. I interviewed this author on December 3rd, and it's it's called Dare to Know, and it's by James Kennedy. He is a Chicago author, and I met him years ago uh, when I went to Chicago for a publishing cocktails event, and there may or may not be video of us, um, you know, singing karaoke together, Ooh. but, you know. You had me at publishing cocktails. Oh. <laughs> That's a regular event. I think it happens on alternate months in Chicago. Oh. So you should go sometime. Uh, okay. You just can't sell your book. Yeah, okay. You can't talk <laughs> about your own book. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in Dare to Know, what I loved about this book is it's contemporary up until like there's like one point on the timeline where something is discovered scientifically and it's where they can compute mathematically using these books of the dead to figure out the date and time you will die. And it has, you know, people pay money for this. And so it's, um, you know, do you dare to know when you're going to die? And how does that affect you as a person? And what happens, and, and in the interview, James Kennedy actually, you know, said this earlier and said, I feel like this is a spoiler you have to reveal. This guy who is struggling to um, make ends meet, he has to pay, you know, child support and everything to his ex-wife. He's stuck in the snowdrift, and he has the books of the dead. And, and, you know, the rule is the people who work there are never supposed to do this to themselves. But he decides, yeah, I think I'll go ahead and try. And so he figures out when he's going to die, and it was 23 minutes ago. So therein what? lies the Right? <laughs> so anyway, it's actually, it's a fun read. It's, you know, I, I wouldn't call it a thriller necessarily. I don't know how to describe it because the writing is so good. So I mean, it's literary. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Genre, literary genre of writing. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's fun. And another fun thing about James Kennedy, his first book was a, a kid's book or a, a middle reader's book. Um, and it took him 10 years to write this book for adults. I don't know that it took him 10 years to write it, but there was a 10-year gap between the publishing of the two books. But one thing he does is the 92nd Newberry Film Festival. It's an annual contest. You know, kid filmmakers create weird movies that tell the entire stories of Newberry winning books. And he kind of takes the show on the road with Keir Graf. And it's, you know, it's just such a cool thing that he does. So I love that he has, you know, he has one foot in that world and then another one in this this great book for adults so that's james kennedy dare to know i'm gonna add that to my list that sounds intriguing so my next book is clara and the sun by kazuo ishiguro so this is the nobel prize winning writer kazuo ishiguro he wrote remains of the day and never let me go 
Um, I This was not on my uh, must-read list when it came out earlier uh, last year, but it was on so many best-of lists. You know how I'm a list fiend, yeah. <laughs> especially the end of the year. And it was, you know, um, with Books We Love on NPR, and then it was... Um, you know, mentioned by, I don't know if it was a New York Times notable book. Anyway, it was on a lot of best of lists. And I picked it up and oh my gosh, I loved it so much. So the premise is that Clara, um, this takes place uh, in a dystopian futuristic society. And Clara is an AF or what's, uh, they're called artificial friends. So um, she, the, the whole book is told from her point of view. And it is so incredible the way he's able to sort of unfold a story so gradually that and and a lot of it is because of the point of view and and because her you know she's coming at the story from this artificial intelligence perspective and so the way she sees the humans in this story is going to be um (laughs) let's just say much more gracious (laughs) (laughs) than uh you know another human might be anyway um it's it was one of those reading experiences where it just was so seamless and his his knack for just like I said un, uh, you know letting the story unfold in its own time uh, it is just amazing but um, it really speaks to themes of loyalty and what is humanity really and love and then there's this whole subplot about you know genetic engineering so it's got this. I call it literary sci-fi, just fantastic through and through. It was one that I read, I think, in maybe two days. Um, oh wow! Just his narration, his point of view narration is just genius. You you have a a sense for what's happening, but then something will happen or be said, and there's this oh my gosh moment, which I love in a book. Lots to discuss here for book clubs, I would think on, you know, sort of the nature of humanity, the limits of science, and and even some religious um, sort of topics. Anyway, my overall review is just wow. (laughs) That is uh, Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. I've only read one of his books. Which one? Uh, The Buried Giant. Okay, I have not read that one. This is is an author that I really would not mind sort of exploring his backlist a little bit more. Yeah, very cool. my next one, I really don't think there's much to say about it other than the fact that I read it because I think, I believe you've already talked about it on Books and Whatnot. You've reviewed it for KMUW and it's Bewilderment by Richard Powers. Uh, that's one that I, that's the one I got done during the break. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm always glad to, I'm glad when you read a book that I've read because then we can talk about it. That's right. I don't remember it, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember there's it. something about a father and son. <laughs> no, I, that's going to be one that's hard to forget. Yeah, good. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Um, now I can't remember. Have you read Overstory? The Overstory? <laughs> have we? Have you? About this? No, <laughs> I have not. But I, I can't. I bought it when I was with okay. you. We both own it. Ding ding ding. <laughs> oh, you bought it when you were with me. That's remember? right. Remember that in the bookstore in Hutchinson. That's right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, we both have it, so maybe one day. Mm, one day. One day. Okay. My next book. I cannot stop talking about. This is one, it would have been a best book of 2021, but I actually read it this year. (laughs) I read it this month. And that is How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith. 
the subtitle here is A Reckoning with the History of Slavery Across America. Now, I have sort of made it a point and a goal, a personal reading goal, to read more books about social justice and history, just because it's a timely topic, and I cover education, and with all the talk about critical race theory and all of that, that controversy going on, I just feel like there's so much to read to understand. This book, though, I just have to say, Clint Smith is a writer for The Atlantic. He's also a poet. So in a lot of these sort of uh, nonfiction social justice books, they can get really heavy. And of course they are. But his writing style and his knack for just sort of observation is, as you would expect, poetic. So it really makes this book, you know, it just sort of rises to a whole nother level. So the premise here is that Clint Smith was raised, he's a black man, raised in Louisiana. uh, And so raised in the South. And what he does with this book is he visits different landmarks, a Confederate cemetery, and there's uh, Angola prison he goes to, and Monticello. He visits these places, talks to, you know, some of the tour guides, reflects on how history is portrayed in those places and maybe how it should be. I cannot speak highly enough of this book. If you could see my book right now, I'm flipping through it. I think I counted more than 30 book darts. Oh, wow. And you know I love a book dart. There was so much to mark up. And and this is a book, again, I've recommended it to so many people since I've read it, but I don't want to give up my own copy of it yet. (laughs) So I've just ordered it for people. (laughs) But um, it's fantastic. Just his, not only do you learn about you know, sort of, it is a book about reckoning, and it's so well-timed for, for, for this this point in our um, social history. Um, but just also reading his reflections as a black man, it just, it just leads, it, it just make, gives it a whole um, different depth, and I highly, highly recommend it. So that's How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith. All right, so my next one is Mouth to Mouth by Antoine Wilson. It was published on January 11th, And it is interesting. It takes place in one location. It takes place at JFK Airport. And these two friends from college, actually just acquaintances from college, they they see each other, their flight is delayed. So one who, you know, has access to the bougie lounge says, hey, let's go get a drink. And so he proceeds to kind of do this confession of sorts. He starts to talk about this one point. I mean, I think he was just triggered seeing his friends thinking, oh, yeah, this is what happened when, you know, right after college. He was walking on a beach in California. He sees somebody um, struggling in the ocean. It's early morning, like just in the pre-dawn hours. And so he doesn't know if he should get into these frigid waters to save this person or not. He ends up pulling him out, giving him mouth to mouth, saving his life. And then, you know, that's when his story begins. And so it's just, it's a fascinating read. The friend who does the saving is a, you know, a fine arts dealer. The one who does the listening, who's a little bit hard on his luck, is a writer. And he almost gets the feeling that he's supposed to be retelling the story, like writing the story. And so we we hear the story through the writer's perspective as it was told to him. It's almost like an unreliable, unreliable narrator, if oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a, that's what a cool concept. It's been called Highsmithian. Um, there is this fantastic twist at the end. I loved it. It's a slight read. It's, you know, less than 200 pages. The story is being told in this airport lounge, but it's also being told in memory as he's explaining things. We get to go back and relive the story. It was a fun book. I really enjoyed visiting with Antoine Wilson for Marginalia, and it's called Mouth to Mouth 
but it was published this year. It just came out. Yeah, it just came out on the 11th. Boy, you are I'm adding stuff to my TBR as we speak. That sounds right up my alley as well. You know I'm not a blurb person, but... I know. First blurb <laughs> is from Andrew Shangrier. I've read everything he's ever written. And second blurb is from Lauren Groff. So there oh, you go. wow. Speaking of Lauren Groff, I high, high, high on my TBR right now is Matrix. Oh, my gosh. I know you loved it. I have got to get that read. That's one that so you get to the end of the year and you look back at what you've read and what you passed up for whatever reason because yeah. you had to get to something else. And, and that's one that I'm like, nope, got to get back to that one. Yeah. Um, so my next one is a recent, uh, it was published this month as well, earlier in January. It's The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan. I think, I, I, I'm guessing it's pronounced Jessamine. I, it's because it's, it's spelled like Jessamine. I'm pronouncing it phonetically. Anyway, I hope I didn't butcher that name. Uh, the School for Good Mothers. This is one of those novels I bought based entirely on the synopsis that I read of it because it's this dystopian you know how I love a novel about motherhood and womanhood and the premise of this is it's this futuristic sort of dystopian society where when parents make mistakes and the state finds out about it and they could be very you know subtle mistakes a possible sentence for you they take you they can take your child away first but then the sentence for you is you go to this school and it is literally a school for good mothers which interestingly in the novel is set in a um abandoned liberal arts university which <laughs> <laughs> oh well that's saying something too isn't it mm -hmm. um anyway but you you go away and you're taught how to be a good mother how to speak motherese how to like the way you're supposed to go through the grocery store and name all the fruits and vegetables and the colors to teach your baby or toddler. Everything from life-saving procedures to how to, you know, deliver the perfect comforting hug. So this, I mean, what a fantastic premise. Scary, 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 really. But the, the author just really captures that kind of mother guilt, you know, the can't do anything right kind of feeling that... Uh, a lot of mothers and parents have. So the premise, I absolutely loved. I sort of felt like the execution was a bit lacking, in my opinion. I mean, the story got a, just a little repetitive toward the middle, so that's the only reason I didn't give it, you know, a, a full five-star enthusiastic review. The premise held such hope for me <laughs> that I was just like, you know, bound to be a little bit disappointed, I guess. <laughs> but it was a really good book. I, I guess I was wanting it to be you know, the next Handmaid's Tale. And, you know, can anything be, really? <laughs> so, um, but, but what a fantastic premise. Again, she really sets up this whole new age, new world very well. The characters are interesting. Um, so anyway, that was The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan, and that was published here in January of 22. My next one, oh, I was going to say it's also published in January, but it's coming out February 1st. It's called Vladimir by Julia Mae Jonas, and I spoke with her. This interview will actually air on February 1st, and it's set in a liberal arts college. It is about this woman, this un unnamed narrator. Her husband is the chair of the English department. She, you know, is the most popular professor in the English department, and um, he was suspended and is being investigated for, you know, inappropriate relationships with the students throughout the years Ooh. and so this is told just it's so internal mm -hmm. this woman you know it's it's how she sees her husband it's how she sees the department it's how 
you know, the just the structure she has in her life to, you know, if she's a half pound overweight, you know, she has to like Ugh. ratchet it down. She's just, she's so... Um, Type A plus, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then this young novelist is hired at the university and she just becomes so infatuated with him. A, a lot of it is internal, but then it becomes very external and, you know, I don't want to give anything away. I told her that, you know, as I was reading this, I just, the word that kept coming to mind was delicious. And I was a little bit embarrassed about it. But now I've seen so many blurbs about it or reviews that use that exact same descriptor. So I'm just going to own it. It's fun. And what I also liked about this is Julia Mae Jonas, she teaches at a university, but she teaches theater and she is a playwright. And this is her first novel. And she said it was because of COVID. She had this idea in her mind for a while. Um, she tried to write it as a play and realized, you know, first of all, couldn't become a play because nobody was acting. Right. <laughs> but then and... it had to be a novel. And so while this was her first novel, she said it absolutely will not be her last. So it was really fun. I highly recommend it. It's called um, Vladimir by Julia May Jonas. How cool. A campus novel. Yeah. Always a trope that I love. So. And I just feel like it, you know, it, it, there's a little bit of something in there for everybody. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I'm thinking, oh, English majors are going to love all of the mentions of everything she's teaching in class or people in their 50s. Oh, she's 58. He's uh, in his 30s. You know, women in their 50s are going to be, you know, appreciating all of the skincare and <laughs> all, anyway age, yeah yeah nod to midlife and it sounds like a little romance uh, touches too maybe well on her side <laughs> okay well you hear there's another one to add to my <laughs> Vladimir okay um, so uh, the next uh, couple books I'm bringing are middle grade um, I read a couple of great middle grade books this month the first one the title is a place to hang the moon it's by Kate Albus now this came to my attention because it was um, recommended on a, another book podcast that I listened to, but they were saying it, the themes were similar to The War That Saved My Life, which is a middle grade book uh, set in World War II that I really, really loved. So what we have here in A Place to Hang the Moon is three orphans growing up in London in World War II. When the book opens, their grandmother, who none of them really liked anyway, passes away. They're at her funeral. And then their attorney essentially says, well, you know, you have this estate. They're, they're pretty well off, but, um, you know, but children are leaving London in droves, you know, before the raids on London when these orphan trains, basically these trains of children were taken out to the country to find homes. Um, so in that way, it's very, very similar to The War That Saved My Life. If you liked that book, which I listened to on audio and highly recommend, you would also love A Place to Hang the Moon. So these three siblings, you know, go through, you know, some trials and tribulations in trying to find family. And found family is another, you know, wonderful uh, theme of this book. And, you know, they befriend a librarian uh, in the little town where they end up. And the librarian, of course, is a wonderful person. <laughs> anyway, it's just super sweet. There are some um, moments of, you know, fear and disappointment and sadness, you know, set during World War II. It's bound to. But then real redemption and sweetness as well. So that's A Place to Hang the Moon by Kate Albus. Highly recommended. The other middle grade I read this month was The Beatrice Prophecy by Kate DiCamilla. You know I love Kate. Mm -hmm. I love Miss Kate. So when she comes out with anything, I'm all over it. 
Um, this was a sort of a Middle Ages book, so so hard to describe, but just rest assured that Kate DiCamillo does not disappoint. In this book, basically a little girl, uh, does, Beatrice, does not know kind of what happened to her, and she's taken in by these monks. She, unlike other females of the time, knows how to read and write, so that's a mystery she's trying to unfurl, like how she ended up where she is. And anyway, uh, there's also a, a a goat in this in this book that is almost a security goat for her. She, they, you know, she just sort of finds comfort in this goat that was living in the monastery. Again, really, really hard to describe, but it's about love and friendship and loyalty and love and also the power of reading and of writing and of storytelling. And, you know, Kate DiCamillo is, you know, really high on those on those topics, too. I was expecting something along the lines of Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane, which I absolutely loved and have read several times. This does not, I think, rise to that level, but it's still super sweet and um, well worth your time. It's The Beatrice Prophecy by Kate DiCamillo. Kate DiCamillo was my first middle grade author that I interviewed for Marginalia, and she scolded me for that, rightfully so. But she scolded me because I hadn't interviewed anybody who had written middle grade novels before, and I it was, gosh, so much fun to talk to her. Don't you think because a lot of adults just sort of feel like those books are not worth their time or they're just for kids, and right. I, it couldn't be further from the truth. I, I love, love reading middle grade. It's almost, it is comfort reading for me. I saw a tweet um, that was going around yesterday, and when Kate DiCamillo tweeted this, it, it probably is old, and it was just, you know, making the rounds again, but she, she tweeted out, I was standing in the grocery store checkout line, and a small boy walked past me once, twice, three times. When he came back the fourth time, he was holding his mother's hand. That's her, he said. He pointed at me. Don't point, honey, said his mother. And then to me, she said, my son's class is reading The Tale of Despero. He thinks you're the author of that book. I'm the writer, I said. Oh, she said, how lovely. Is it okay if he asks you a question? Absolutely, I said. Go ahead, honey, she said to the boy. The child looked up at me and said, what I want to know is, will it be okay? Will the mouse be okay? Yes, I told him. Oh, he said, good. Now I can relax my heart. Yes, I said again. You can. Oh, his heart. Oh, my heart. Oh, all the hearts. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It just says it all. Oh, my heart. Oh, my heart. Tale of Despero, Because of Winn-Dixie, mm. uh, Edward Tulane. Uh, oh, my heart, indeed. She is just such a great storyteller. And she, you can tell in her writing that she really cares about kids. You know, yeah. I just oh, love her. My next book is The Stars Are Not Yet Bells by Hannah Lilith Asadi. And this is, it's a novel. It is, um, it's also kind of a slight novel. It's just over 200 pages. It's beautifully written. It has such a quiet, quietness about it. I want to mention Unreliable Narrator only because, you know, it touches on dementia. This woman who lives in New York um, is set up with this young man uh, they move to this island off the coast of the Carolinas for the family business. Um, there are family secrets, both on her side of the family and his. And it's just, I don't know, it was just a really beautiful book. Hannah Lilith Asadi, um, she was named one of the five under 35 a few years ago by the National Book Foundation. Um, I, I think she's still in her 30s. Oh, wow. And she's just, um, this was just a really beautiful book. 
You had a good month. These all sound so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and this one is also a January release. Man, so. don't you feel like the publishers are just like making up for 2020 or something? Uh, maybe. <laughs> all these are just like too much to read. I don't make it stop. Yeah, no, no, do no, not no, make no, it don't, stop. Don't stop. Don't bring stop. it. Bring it. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, my next book is nonfiction self-help. <laughs> what better time than my first book to read of the new year is Don't Overthink It by Ann Bogle. So Ann Bogle is uh, the woman behind the What Should I Read Next podcast. She has the Modern Mrs. Darcy website and blog. She's kind of uh, a book goddess. Um, she wrote this book just because she herself got to thinking about how she overthinks things. She shares this episode where she goes to Trader Joe's and has these fresh flowers in her shopping cart. And then she stands there and thinks, do I really need to buy these fresh flowers? Do I, you know, no, it's, it's definitely a splurge buy, but you know, it's not anything I absolutely need. So she puts these tulips back, continues her shopping trip, goes home. And then realizes, God, I should have bought the flowers. You know? <laughs> anyway, I can so identify with that particular mindset, and that uh, you know, I, I can really sort of spiral out of control sometimes, thinking, you know, just overthinking things, and especially in this world where we go to a grocery store and there's like 50 different, you know, brands of you know spaghetti sauce or whatever. It, it's easy to fall into that rut. This book, she did a lot of research into. Uh, the psychology of this and she references writers and psychologists and researchers and it's not very very long either it's 209 pages so easy to read and to get through I wrote down one of the um, quotes that really stood out to me she actually quotes Annie Dillard in her book and the quote is how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives what we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing and I just thought that, you know, it, it just speaks to the, the need to just sort of relax and, you know, and, and be zen when you need to be zen and to not overthink it. It was just very insightful. Uh, she talks about analysis paralysis and similar situations, the need to, to think about experimenting rather than thinking everything needs to be right or perfect. Um, so not that I'm necessarily a perfectionist, but, you know, that um, fear of failure is, you know, pretty strong sometimes. So just the idea that, you know, I'm going to try this and if it doesn't work, that's fine. I'll try something else. Um, and also just enjoying the occasional splurge and the value of experiences and trying not to overthink those things. So when you're thinking of, you know, the value of travel, you know, airplane tickets or, you know, lodging at a vacation can be expensive. But when you think about those things in terms of the value that they bring your life, it just puts it into a, a different perspective. So anyway, I really, really enjoyed it. And I don't really read this genre very much. So it was, it was good to sort of start the year off really thinking about this, the, you know, setting priorities and thought patterns and, and making choices, making good choices. So that's Don't Overthink It by Ann Bogle. I love that Annie Dillard quote. Yeah, me too. Have you read Annie Dillard? I have. You know, I read An American Childhood. I no, I, I've only heard of, uh, like, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've not read Annie Dillard, but I think I have a few. And I just, maybe I should have that be an author I tackle. I think you would love her, Beth. I think you really should. I think, yeah, she's... I think you'd like her. Okay. I should probably mention that Mark Bradshaw first introduced me to her, even though I've not read her. 
So if I finally do, Mark. Okay, so it won't be me. He'll get the the credit. I see how it works. Never mind. I felt like I should give him a shout out because (laughs) he was the one who brought up Andy Dillard to me for the first time. You know, do you write? That that brings up a good point. And that is, you know, now that I'm doing more journaling, more book journaling, um, I try to write down where I hear about books because that that just uh, escapes my memory so often that I can't. I'll know there'll be a book that I put on my tbr list and i'm just like well now why is this here who you know and so i'm trying to get better about actually writing down who told me about what yeah that's a good point and for all of you listening at home that would be suzanne perez is where you heard it or (laughs) beth Golay books and whatnot podcast that's right yep you need to write that down all these books we're talking about okay i just have a couple more on my list fiona and jane by jean chen ho this book came out in january i believe january 5th it's a book of linked stories. So um, Jean Chen Ho wrote about these two characters, Fiona and Jane. They kind of are a little bit timely. They don't exactly follow a through timeline, but we're first introduced to Jane. And, you know, Fiona is a name that's mentioned in passing. The next story is about Fiona. And I don't even know if she's met Jane at that point. But what was interesting to me is that Jean Chen Ho wrote all of these stories separately. I mean, it's like somebody decides to write a short story and it's about these two characters. And so they are linked. I mean, it reads like a novel, but it's not. And it was just so much fun. It was well written. These characters are just so well developed because she's been writing about them for a while. And so it's um, I don't know. It's. So the structure didn't bother you? No. It read like a novel. Oh, that's cool. But it is interconnected stories. Yes. How cool. And I talked to her and I asked if any stories didn't make the cut. And she said, like, there was one that was told from Fiona's little brother. And, you know, we we only hear his name in passing. And I'd kind of like to hear what he has to say. So it, I, I, it's just really interesting to me. The conceit was, I'm writing about these people and... And, like, these stories would show up in different, like, literary magazines on their own, and they hold up on their own. Oh, wow. So it's really character-driven, then, not not plot, necessarily. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, you know I love. So. And they all, you know, it's just what's happening to them at different times in their lives. Because, you know, we meet them kind of as little girls, and by the time the story ends, they're they're in their 30s, I think. Wow. So, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's a fun one. I think. Um, so about female friendship. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Asian American female mm-hmm. friendship. Wow. Very nice. Yeah. So that's Fiona and Jane by Jean Chen Ho. Great. One more to bring to you from me, and it is a fantastic, another nonfiction. It is called Word Slut, A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language. <laughs> So, you know, I read a lot of books about female empowerment and, um, you know, smashing the patriarchy. This is right in line with that. It's by Amanda Montell. She is a sociolinguist. So all of her research deals with language as it's used in real life and in society. So this book unpacks the link between language and culture and how English in particular is so linked to patriarchy, is just so male-centered. And she gives a lot of examples of that. She goes into things like catcalling and gossip and even cursing. Fair warning, 
this book has lots of explicit language. <laughs> There's a whole chapter on slang words for anatomic parts, mm. <laughs> for parts of the anatomy, but sort of looked at as a whole. She, she also talks about vocal fry and uptalk and these different trends in voicing that have come to attention through the Kardashians and others. But anyway, she does her research. It's extremely well-researched, just kind of a fun read, but also educational and entertaining. I did uh, jot down here in my notes that it got a, a little bit repetitive and textbooky at times as you know, people who love to research <laughs> particular niche topics uh, sometimes can be. But on the whole, I thought it was fantastic and really insightful. That is Word Slut, A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language by Amanda Montel. I was just thinking about um, up-talking on my drive here today. Isn't Were you? Weird? Yes. I was thinking about up-talk. <laughs> As I was driving here? I was... Trying to think if I ever do it. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think you do. No, I don't, I don't think I, I do. do. Um, but what I find interesting also, so we have a podcast here at KMUW. It's called You're Saying It Wrong. And in the episode that dropped today, now keep in mind, I have not listened to it, but I did um, receive the description from Fletcher so I could post it onto all of the podcast platforms. And the title of it is Driving Linguistic Change. This is the first sentence of the descriptor. Some listener emails prompted Kathy and Ross to take a look at the idea that women are the real drivers of innovation in language. Oh, all right. Way to go, Fletcher. I'll be listening to that one. Very sure. good. You'll have to let me know. No, I'll listen before then. But <laughs> I just, listened. when you were talking about this book, it just automatically made me think of this episode of You're Saying It Wrong. So um, another one on my list that you have covered before, you wrote a review about it, so I'm only going to mention it is Address Unknown by Katherine Cressman-Taylor. And this was written in the early 30s. It was published, I believe, in 1938. It's epistolary. It's very short. It can be read in an hour. Um, but it's it's interesting and it's, it's timely in that these two gentlemen are writing back and forth. One is in like an art dealer in California and the other one has moved back with his family to Germany. You know, as she was writing it, as these letters are going back and forth, it was very in the moment at the time, because she would, you know, they would say, so what's up with this Adolf Hitler? And it was before World War II. So it was actually as it was happening. And it's an incredible novel. I don't think it was published in serial form, but no, it was it, it was published in a magazine back in the 30s, which is so eerie. I remember reading that and just thinking how haunting it was mm -hmm. that it was written in this time where these things hadn't happened yet, but it really sort of hints at what's going to happen. It's just so frightening in that way. Right. Well, it was just re-released. It was republished in the last year. Suzanne recommended it to me. I am recommending it to you. Address Unknown by Katherine Cressman Taylor. And when it was published, interesting enough, um, it was published under the name Cressman Taylor because they didn't think if they thought if they put her first name, Catherine, identifying her as a woman, it wouldn't um, it wouldn't reach as many people. Wow. People wouldn't read it. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. All right. So have you set any reading goals this year, Beth? Any personal goals or are you doing any reading challenges? Well, I'm doing I'm doing the um, the Read ICT challenge. Yes. Isn't isn't everyone? Yes, I everyone hope so. Everyone should be. Everyone in Wichita should be anyway. Yeah. The Read ICT challenge. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. You know, I think um, I love 
I mean, this is the sixth year that you've organized it, and I, I love how it brings um, Wichita together as a community of readers, especially like on the Facebook group. You know, people are so excited about the challenge and saying, what are you going to do for this category? What are you going to do for th- that category? And I love getting on there and making recommendations. And that's why I love this challenge the most. I think I read enough that it's not prompting me to read a book this month if I would not have read a book, right. if that makes sense. Right, yeah. So I'm in it for the camaraderie. In fact, I wait till the last day of the year and, and plug in the categories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do I have that has a, <laughs> a But a that's fine. Author. So, But I, I do love that um, a lot of people are, are – are, you know, taking on the challenge and saying, yes, I'm going to read 12 books this year I that fit these that. 12 categories. And so many of us are just busy, 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 and we do not allow ourselves the time to read. And I think this challenge is just perfect for, you know, spurring people on. It's not exactly, we're not holding people accountable, but it is a way of being held accountable if you get on Facebook and say, hey, these are the books I've chosen, or hey, this is my the book that I read for this month, because, you know, social media, we like it when we get feedback from people. Yeah. And so there's that's one instance where it's actually really good for us. Yeah, exactly. Well, that yeah. And like you said, that Facebook group is just sort of a, a delightful, uh, refreshing, positive community of, of readers. I love that group as well. And that's yeah. hashtag read ICT challenge on Facebook. So visit us there. But yeah, I, I really like, you know, People do challenges for all different reasons. You know, you could be doing the challenge because you're trying to up your reading game and and read more than you have before. You know, the average American does not read 12 books a year. So if if you even complete this challenge, you're doing better than most. But uh, a lot of people just want a little bit of guidance. You know, there's a lot of books out there. So why not sort of narrow down your choices by saying, you know, and that's what the categories are good for. I mean, they're very, very broad. They can be interpreted extremely broadly you know one of the categories is a debut author one is a book dealing with mental illness one you know is an immigrant story so there's all different ways you can interpret the categories if you want to see a full list go to kmuw.org we have it on there it's also uh, on facebook but yeah the idea is 12 books 12 months in any order any types of books you want that fulfill the categories. It's also a partnership, I'll say, with the Wichita Public Library. They've been incredible as well. They sort of partner with us to make this their adult reading program, their adult reading challenge. So you can go on the library website and actually, if you go to Wichita Library site and then slash read ICT, you can log your reading there through their Beanstack app and earn badges, uh, which then, you know, qualify you for prizes. They have actually monthly prizes through there, too. So um, anyway, it's just really fun. I can't believe it's been going on for six years, but it's one of the favorite, favorite things I do every year is coming up with these categories um, along with the librarians and other folks. So anyway, I hope people enjoy it. Yeah. Another, well, so one of my goals this year is um, as I, as I interview authors, you know, I always have to read the book before I talk to them because I just think that's yeah <laughs> polite. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to read, I'm trying to, and I don't want to say I'm trying to cram in, but I am trying to do a little bit of cramming beforehand and read, you know, read some of the backlist first, especially if I think it might either affect the the novel that I'm reading now or 
maybe something else is going on in the news. Like, you know, uh, Jonathan Evison, I'm, I'm going to talk to him on Monday about his novel, Small World. But he's been in the news a lot because his book, Lawn Boy, is being challenged at all of these, you know, school libraries. And so I want to, you know, make sure I'm able to talk about that book by reading the book, which... Yeah, what a concept. Right. <laughs> so I'm trying to read that book before I actually talk to him about his new one. Or like Marlon James, I'm supposed to be talking to him in February. His book is the second book in a trilogy. The first one was Black Leopard, Red Wolf. This next one is called Moon Witch, Spider King. But I also have a brief history of seven killings that I didn't read. Mm-hmm. And so it would just be lovely if I could read more of his work. Because I do think past work influences. Absolutely. So it's it's a way of moving books off my, I'll never read the stack, to my, let's just get this done. Yeah, cause, so, so that's a way, of, I mean, because one of my personal goals is always to read more backlist, uh-huh. period, because I get, you know, I love the bright and shiny new books. Um, but yeah, that's a way to sort of do both is by going to the backlist of the authors who have new stuff coming out. Right. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a great goal. You know... My overall goal this year is just, to, like I said, my um, my reading has finally hit another a new stride again, and I'm listening. I have a, a few books going at once, which always helps me read more. I've got, you know, one going on audio. By the way, I'm listening to The Anthropocene Reviewed on audio. It is so, so good. So thank you for that recommendation, Beth Golay. You're welcome. Um, that's by John Green. Um, but, yeah, so I'll have a, a book going on audio and then one on uh, my uh, – e-reader and then a print book so I can sort of keep them separate in my head because of that and um, I I just I want to um, be more open to just reading whatever I'm in the mood for whether that is a new release that I just bought and and am super excited about or that book I see on my shelf that has been there for 10 years and for some reason whether it's seasonal or whatever one that comes to mind is The Snow Child by Eowyn Ivey I've been wanting to read that book for years. I've heard so many good things about it. Well, you know what? It's cold outside now. Maybe I'll read it this month. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I need to just open myself up to reading whatever um, whatever strikes my fancy. That's what my goal is this year. I've been enjoying some audiobooks as well, but I like that, you know, we have we have options. The library always has good options, but you do have to wait in line because they only have a certain number of licenses. And so I've really been enjoying Libro FM. Because that's like the independent bookstore option for buying audiobooks. And they just, they have such, you know, they have the great titles. They have the same titles. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a great alternative for those who want to support local. Absolutely. Yes, Libro FM, you can actually plug in your, the local bookstore that you want to support with your purchases on there. And um, yeah, and they have everything you could possibly want in the way of audiobooks. So that's a, a great option. You're right. You know what? I would love to hear from our listeners. Go online and tell us what your reading goals are for the new year and sort of how you set those. I love talking book goals and reading goals. It's you know, it's almost like this clean slate, a new year, turn of the calendar, you get to, you know, start over and, and say, this is what I want out of my, my reading life. I'd love to know what, uh, what our listeners are doing. I would too. So reach out, let us know. Yeah, definitely, definitely reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Listen to the credits to see how to reach us. <laughs> and that seems like a good place to stop. Yeah, I think it does. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Books and Whatnot. Until next time, keep turning those pages. Bye, Beth. Bye, Suzanne. 
Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Stancer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org.